Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute. And this is How Did You Do That? A show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. If you're entrepreneurial, you recognize the fact that, gee, maybe these people would buy those tools and they could spend their time focusing on research as opposed to making the tools they need to conduct the research. Ralph Cotton is a true serial entrepreneur. He co-founded two life sciences companies that sold for a combined 200 plus million and was involved very early in three more. The biggest of those, Promega, has about 450 million of revenue and operations around the world. Ralph's entrepreneurial experience was built on a series of decisions that took him out of the comfort zone into the unknown. His inclination was to take calculated risks, and his guiding philosophy was to understand where the market was going and find the best way his companies could fit into it. Madison, Wisconsin has become known in the last few decades as a startup-friendly town, and Ralph is one of the big contributors to that reputation. Ralph, welcome to How Did You Do That? Thank you. It's great to have you with us. Um, you know, you have an interesting background for a serial life sciences entrepreneur. Uh, you grew up in the 1960s on an organic farm in Iowa, the youngest of 11 children. That's quite a story already, Ralph. <laughs> um, it's not exactly, though, where I would think a prolific life sciences entrepreneur would come from. What do you think of that? Well, uh, you know, farming in itself is an entrepreneurial activity. You certainly on a farm, you uh, just like any entrepreneur, you have to do everything from negotiating a deal with customers to uh, taking the garbage out. So uh, growing up on a farm, I think, is a perfect uh, <laughs> training ground for an entrepreneur. Makes sense to me. Um, you know, I, I know your mom was a big influence on you. How, how, how was that? Well, uh, she was uh, a very caring person, uh, you know, being the youngest of 11. I got more attention from my mother than my siblings, primarily because there was a three-year span between the next oldest child and, and, and the other 10 children were born pretty much in succession. And so I had more attention from my mother than my siblings. And that attention expressed itself in caring. And the result was, I think it, it helped me build some confidence in myself. Yeah, you don't, you don't strike me as spoiled. Well, uh, Growing up on a farm, it was a it was a it was a poor farm. We were self-sufficient. We were subsistence farming, and um, you know there was a lot of work to be done. And I I I, I did my share of it. So I, I know you think of yourself as a risk taker. So do I. So do many of the people in Madison and elsewhere who know you and who've watched you over the years. But you graduated, it turns out, from University of Iowa with an accounting degree. That seems like a safe way to play it. Well, back in those days, uh, a lot of people who, who came from poor, not desperately poor uh, situations, went into accounting. And, and the reason is because we, didn't, we wanted to get out of that poor condition. And accounting uh, at that time, certainly, and I think it probably still does, uh, provides a pathway to build skills, to get a job that pays pretty well. And can put you onto a, a pretty respectable career. So you did that. Your first job out of college, you were an auditor at a Madison accounting firm. What'd you think of that? Well, you know, when I graduated from uh, college, my intent was to go into public accounting and make a career of it. 
and so after about uh, 30 days of doing that, I decided that I, I needed to, to go in a little different direction. That environment wasn't quite what I thought it was, and it was a little more um, rigid, and uh, it, it didn't feel right for me. Uh, however, I stayed in that business, in that, in that job, for three years, primarily because in order to become certified as a public accountant, you, need, you needed several things, including uh, three years of experience. And so I spent those three years working, trying to do a good job. In, in true entrepreneur uh, fashion, planning your pivot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I spent my time thinking about where do I go from here? So where you went was to get an MBA at UW-Madison. And then you, uh, this really surprised me too. You became an accounting professor at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Not an entrepreneurial path yet. Well, why'd you do that? Well, um, yeah, it doesn't look like I'm taking much risk. But uh, if you ask people, what do they fear more than death? A lot of people say speaking in front of a group. I was always a shy kid. And, you know, when you come to life with that kind of personality, uh, you don't uh, develop skills in expressing yourself. And that's one of the things I wanted to do. And as a teacher, you are required. And if you want to be good, you, you want to you be good at expressing yourself and comfortable with the language in a way that people understand and relate to you. Uh, so it was, a, it was a good move for me to, to go that route. But now we're kind of getting to the part that where I thought we'd start, which is, you know, you started do some, doing some consulting on the side and you met Bill Linton, the founder of Promega. What were you talking to him about? Well, the year before I met him, he had started a biotech company. Uh, that was in the very early days of the biotech industry. Uh, and as, an, as a, a sign of that, uh, he initially called the company Biotech. That was the name of the company. So he was uh, interested in moving the company forward, but he needed some help, uh, especially on the business side. And so uh, I engaged with him and helped to put business practices in place, discuss strategy. Uh, we put together a business plan. We went out and uh, raised money to help fund the company. And as time went on, I got involved in things like setting up subsidiaries and directing uh, administrative operations, um, including uh, finance and accounting, facilities management, as well as uh, customer services and human resources. But from a broad perspective, you know, maybe what's important here is you were involved in a business that was building into a growing market. One of the things you think startups should really think about a lot, right? Yeah. At that time, early on in the biotech industry, so much of the research being conducted at universities, research institutions, pharmaceutical companies, and the early biotech companies, tools that they were using weren't commercially available. And so they had to make their own tools. It'd be like watching somebody building a house that had to make their own nails. And then you recognize the fact, and if, if you're entrepreneurial, you recognize the fact that, gee, maybe these people would buy those tools and they could spend their time focusing on research as opposed to making the tools they need to conduct the research. That was the genesis. Uh, Mr. Linton saw that 
there were some other biotech companies in business already manufacturing these tools. He saw that as an opportunity to build another company uh, that focused on manufacturing the tools that are being used by the researchers. And we always tried to convince investors that it wasn't the gold diggers that profited from the gold rush. It was the people supplying the tools to them. Well, and you enjoyed it there. You spent 13 years there. You got comfortable. And, and then here's where you're really starting to race around with your risk. You decide to leave. Uh, how difficult was it to leave at that point to start another company? I, I suppose uh, the difficulty in leaving was more like um, when you're involved in raising something from, from nothing, you develop an affinity for it, kind of like a parent does when they raise a child. Uh, and so it's hard to let that child go, but you know you have to if you want to see that child develop. So that was the difficult part, but uh, there were three, three of us that were principals at Promega that, uh, that left at the same time. Tom Burke, for example, was a, an exceptional scientist. He joined Terry Sevesand and myself. Terry um, is excellent at marketing and business development, and then I had the administrative and finance covered. We saw that as kind of a three-legged stool, and we thought we had all of the functions for an organization covered. And with the experience we had in, because we were instrumental in building Omega Corporation, we felt we could do it again. And this was another similar technology type. It was a tools company, right? Right. So you did very well with that. You know, nine years after you started it, you sold it to Aurora Biosciences for $86 million. But, you know, I guess you're not a sit-on-the-beach kind of guy, huh? Because next you went to Miris. Tell us about that company. Yeah, Miris um, is a company that got formed because there were three researchers at the University of Wisconsin in Madison that made a discovery. They discovered uh, some biochemicals that would be useful in transferring genetic material into a living cell in such a way that it doesn't kill the cell. And at the same time, the cell starts incorporating that genetic material uh, successfully. These particular tools are, are called transfection reagents. It's, transfection is a combination of the words transfer and infection. So uh, the concept of taking genetic material and transferring it into, into a cell, transfecting that cell. So you guys sold um, Miris for, for, you had an even bigger exit with Miris. You sold it to Hoffman LaRoche for $125 million, and you kept a piece out of that transaction that continues to operate. Right, yeah. After the formation of Miris, uh, we started producing and supplying transfection reagents to the life science research community. Uh, at the same time, the researchers were very interested in exploring additional technologies that might be useful to deliver uh, genetic material inside a human body. The original focus for Miris was gene therapy that resulted in the transfer of DNA inside a person's body to treat an affliction like hemophilia, which is an affliction uh, that is caused by a person not being able to produce blood clotting factors. Um, and so the research team at Miris kept working on developing a non-viral approach to deliver genes inside the body. We found that approach to be uh, useful in a new arising therapeutic approach called siRNA, or small inhibitory RNA. 
the, the small inhibitory RNA inhibits the production of certain proteins. So again, you were, you were going into a market trend. You had a technology that you thought really fit where the market was going already. Right. Yeah. What, what happened with gene therapy uh, is that there were some disastrous clinical results, which caused the market to kind of close down on gene therapy. But then another application, siRNA, which also requires the same technology, transfer of, of genetic material arose. And so we focused our efforts in the siRNA field. That caught the attention of Roche. Uh, they wanted that technology. They bought Miris. However, they didn't want the transfection products that are being sold into the research, life science research labs. And so there were a number of us that bought that part of the business back from Roche, including the name Miras. So here it gets interesting, though, because then you went to another company, you got in very early, called Quintessence. Um, you got involved in 2002. In 2016, you shut it down. Um, and, you know, they say you learn more from failure than um, success. What, what, what happened? What did you learn from Quintessence? That's your one that didn't work. Yeah, Quintessence Biosciences uh, was developing an anti-cancer therapy. Uh, this was based on a discovery that occurred in the labs of Dr. Ronald Raines, who was at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Uh, he discovered that uh, one could take a human protein, modify it slightly, and turn it into something that was toxic to cancer cells. And so Quintessence Biosciences was formed, and we went about trying to exploit that discovery. Uh, we had developed a drug product and had taken it into human clinical trials. We treated uh, with that product over 50 patients for a variety of different, different cancers. We, we didn't achieve this level of efficacy in the, in the human trial, but we believe the product to be as effective as chemotherapies, but without the side effects. We did not see any of those side effects in the human trials, like loss of hair, nerve damage, damage to the heart, and some of the other bad side effects you see from chemotherapy. So great technology, you know, good company. What, what was the problem? Well, the problem was we ran out of money. Um, and what happened, we spent well over three years in a human clinical trial, which is longer than what you normally have to do. And during that period of time, the interest of cancer research switched to a new focus, that focus being immunotherapies, therapies that use the human immune system to fight cancer. And so if you didn't have an immunotherapy under development, you didn't receive any interest from people willing to fund cancer development. So that's interesting because you've always been so focused on going where the market's going. And, and for this one, it changed. And yeah. therefore, that, you, you're still hopeful about the technology though, right? You know, there's a, a number of drugs that are approved and on the market for which the pathway to approval has not been a direct line. Uh, one of the most successful cancer therapies that is being used today, Avastin, is an example of that. Uh, many different researchers attempted to develop an Avastin-like cancer therapy but failed. But over time, more knowledge is learned about the science and 
uh, uh, th that knowledge is used to perfect the product and uh, Genentech was able to bring Avastin to market successfully. Hope springs eternal in entrepreneur land, huh? <laughs> Just one more question. Um, what are you doing now? You know, you've got these five companies you've been involved in. You could be on that beach at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, um, different people have different things that they have an interest in. I, I, I enjoy work, so I'm continuing to be engaged uh, mostly on boards uh, as members, uh, as a member of boards of directors. Uh, including um, SSM Healthcare of Wisconsin, First Business Bank, uh, the Nordic Group of Companies, uh, which is a group of manufacturing companies in Baraboo, Wisconsin, uh, and uh, two biotech companies, still fully engaged at Miris, and um, also Billbrook Labs, uh, a Madison uh, biotech company focused on developing assays for drug discovery. Uh, I'm also helping my my son, Chris, who runs a little manufacturing company in, in Madison. And with him being on vacation this week, I'm a little busy with that. Well, we're really fortunate that you've um, been such a big part of the ecosystem and that you've continued to be involved in it and you're continuing to share all this knowledge with people. So thanks so much for sharing it with us at How Did You Do That? Thank you very much. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. You can also explore episodes of How Did You Do That at wuwm.com, at the iTunes Store, or wherever you get your podcasts.